Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Fianna Fáil TD Dara Cleary is here for his first major TV interview since Golfgate controversy last summer. Irish Examiner political editor Daniel McConnell will join us for the very latest political developments on the Tánaise Leo Vradker. With over 80,000 people due to be vaccinated against COVID-19 this week, Dr Alona Duffy and infectious diseases expert Cleona Nicali will join us as well as Social Democrat TD Gary Gannon. And later, wedding bells or wedding postponements. What does the future hold for Irish weddings? Frank will be here with his hopes for the future. Do get in touch on Twitter. Our hashtag, as always, tonight's VMTV. First tonight, Irish Examiner political editor Daniel McConnell is here to bring us the very latest update on Tanisha Leo Vradker and the leaking of that GP contract. Good evening uh, to you, Daniel. We know off the back of that leak that a complaint was made to the Gardaí, which they are now looking at. But you might just give us a bit more of the background and how it is that Simon Harris came to be involved. Sure. Good evening, Kira. So obviously we, we understand that this... Uh, controversy erupted in November when The Village magazine published the story, the original story. Leo Vracker then uh, had to go in and explain his actions and he admitted uh, that he did hand this document or leak this document to Dr. Matthew O'Toohill, uh, which was a rival uh, GP organisation, the NAGP, uh, during a time when the IMO was essentially negotiating a, a state GP contract. Um, obviously that complaint was made uh, and two or three weeks ago, we, we confirmed that uh, the Guardi were examining this matter. And over the weekend, the Irish Mirror on Saturday published a story that a, a minister had given a statement to the Guardi, and it subsequently turned out that that minister is Simon Harris. Tonish Leo Varekka gave a, another statement yesterday in which he basically said uh, the Guardi haven't been in contact with him, but yet he's instructed his lawyers to cooperate in any way he can. He's insisting on his legal advice that he's done nothing wrong. He has no case to answer. But obviously that, that process has to play itself out. Legally, while he's insisting he has no case to answer, politically this is quite damaging for Leo Varadkar. His standing within his own party and within government has been severely damaged without question. Uh, and while it may ultimately go nowhere in terms of the legalities of this, uh, he has to obviously deal with the political fallout, which has been quite considerable. And tell us about that political fallout, particularly within his own party, within Fine Gael. What is his standing there at the moment? Well, certainly, you know, for the first uh, year, year and a half to two years of his existence as, as Fine Gael leader, he lived a pretty charmed existence. I mean, he was in total control of his party. He was rarely challenged, if ever challenged. Whereas in recent weeks, we've seen examples at the parliamentary party meetings 
of that authority being challenged. We had an example of it, John Paul Phelan, the former junior minister, essentially lecturing both Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney about wasting the time of the parliamentary party and accusing and likening their actions to a, the Fine Gael's equivalent of a punishment beatings, given that they were essentially accused of running down the clock at a time when TD's only interaction with their leader is at the parliamentary party every week. But what you're getting across the board is this general sense of unease about the party's decision to go into government. Uh, people think they would have been much better off going into opposition. Uh, and ultimately what you're seeing is, you know, Leo Varadkar essentially having to deal with the sort of political um, cruelties and, and uh, troubles that most other leaders like Dara's own leader, Micheál Martin, has had to deal with on a weekly basis at his own parliamentary party meeting. And we know that uh, the coalition leaders were meeting tonight, uh, Daniel, ahead of the cabinet meeting tomorrow because we'll be looking at the next stage of living with COVID. What is the sense there about how the government are going to have to uh, look at and deal with reopening society? Well, it's very clear, Kira. anything that happens is going to happen very slowly, very cautiously, very conservatively. So the schools is obviously the, the leading on the top priority. We, you know that children with special needs are, are back and going back on a phased basis. We're next going to see the Leaving Cert uh, cohort go back if, if a final agreement can be reached between the unions and, and the government. And then ultimately, I think what, you're hope, what they're hoping to see is before the end of this month and into early next month is return of primary school children. Beyond that, it gets far trickier. And, and what you're likely to see, you know, the Taunashe has made it clear that they would like to see some sort of a normal summer as we had last year. And that was not an, a normal summer. But, you're, you know, in terms of some re opening of retailer, uh, some opening of hospitality and limited forms. So that, but in the early stages, probably looking like outdoor dining of up to 15 people. Um, there will ho hopefully be a move to allow uh, inter-county travel across the country to allow people to book, you know, go on their holidays in the later part of the summer. But all of it is contingent on the numbers coming down. All of it is contingent on a vaccine rollout. And they, those two are still very much open questions at this stage. All right, we leave it there. But uh, Daniel McConnell from the Irish Examiner, thank you, uh, as always, for your time. And joining me here in studio is Fianna Fáil TD Dara Cleary and Social Democrat TD Gary Gannon. You're both very welcome to the programme. I want to start, I suppose, with you, Dara. Um, we heard there from... Uh, our political correspondent with the Irish Examiner, he said, look, the Taoiseach, or the Taoiseach, rather, is, is damaged by this. Uh, there might not be, you know, a criminal element to it, but it is damaging. It's damaged his standing within the party. How do you feel it impacts Leo Fradker? So, look, this was debated politically back in, I think, November. Um, there was a motion of confidence. Um, it's now moved in, as you said, to the legal side of things, so I, I'm just reluctant to comment on that until we see the Garden investigation completed. Um, the Tonish was very clear that he made a mistake, he shouldn't have done it, he shouldn't have given the file, he was very clear on that. And um, yeah, th there's a complaint now to be investigated and let that proceed. Any sense that he should step aside while that complaint is investigated? Uh, no, I, I, I think that he has an important job to do in terms of the Department of Enterprise, particularly as we rebuild uh, our small businesses, rebuild our uh, economy. So he, he's important to that job. Um, and he has indicated yesterday that he would fully cooperate with the Gardaí uh, in their investigation. So I think he can continue. Is that good enough for you, Gary Gannon? I don't think he has any choice but to fully cooperate with the Guardian in their investigation. I think that's a remarkable turn of phrase. I think it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that we do base air legality on is precedent. And I think it's very an interesting comparison. In 2018, when Dennis Nocton was also accused and found not of acting with some degree of impropriety, but not illegally, um, there was the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, the then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, who said that his standing had been affected to the point where he had to step down. And that was 
only in 2018 where somebody had a similar circumstance develop and the Taoiseach himself, Leo Varadkar at the time, um, made it clear to Dennis Norton that while he didn't act with any degree of impropriety, there was accountability to be recorded there and he had to step down from his role as a minister. And we haven't really made that comparison as Leo Varadkar or even as the government of the day. What's the difference here? So do you think then he should step down? I think there's certainly questions. The very fact that we're talking about this now, several months on, that I, and I think we need to take stock of where we are. A minister has been... A minister has been questioned by the Gardaí in relation to this. There is an ongoing investigation, so we have to be careful what we say. But the fact that this is still an ongoing conversation on the well, minds of authority... Well, I think it's preliminary, isn't it, at this stage? They are sort of looking into it to see whether or not it warrants an investigation, just to be clear. OK, but it's still, we are discussing this at this very moment, and it's possibly undermined his role within government. So I think he needs to reflect on his own position in much the same way in 2018 he asked Dennis Nocton to reflect on his. Um, Dara, you obviously resigned as Minister for Agriculture back in August of last year. We understand that a file has been sent to the DPP to see if any charges are warranted off the back of uh, Golfgate. Did you have to meet Gardy? Did you have to give a statement? Yeah, I did. Uh, I went through um, my role, reiterated what I had said publicly. Uh, my absolute regret and apology for uh, having attended to it. My regret at the uh, anger and the hurt, particularly the hurt I caused uh, by attending. Um, that was back in November, I think, and I heard on heard on the radio that it had gone to uh, the DPP. So we, we'll see what happens with that. Have you sought legal advice? Do you expect uh, yes, any charges? Uh, yeah, you know, you, you would. Uh, speaking to the Gardaí, I took the process very seriously. Um, but, uh, you know, just Kira, I really want to reiterate whatever the legal process will take its um, course but reiterate my apology and a lot of anger and a lot of hurt in particular and I want to reiterate that's why I resigned from Cabinet. Are you expecting charges? I don't know. Um, I, uh, is that what your legal advice has said? Um, look my legal advice is that probably not in that it's, an, it's the organisation is of the event is the issue, but um, we let the DPP decide and we, we, one thing I've learned from last year, you take one day at a time. And when it comes then to Leo Radker, you're saying no, he needs to remain in his role, allow the Gardaí to investigate, basically what you're saying is allow due process here. Do you feel that you were given that? I was, and um, you know, I think if I if if I hadn't if we hadn't taken the action I did, um, that the public health message would have been damaged, um, and the strength of that public health message would have been damaged. So I, I'm comfortable, and I have complete peace in my in my own head about the events of August, about my resignation, not about the event. I want to make that clear, um, and I, I'm incredibly honoured to be a TD for Mail. And I have a lot of work to do. We have uh, had a very difficult few weeks. And I want to work with my county, my communities across the county, getting them back. So you sound like you're not coming at this in the way that Phil Hogan, who also resigned for attending um, that golf dinner in Clifton. I mean, he gave an interview. He resigned, but he gave an interview a few weeks ago. He said, look, most fair-minded people think I was feeded or treated disproportionately and due process, I would have liked it and basically I was denied it. You don't agree with that at all. Well, I, I'm comfortable with how it, um, how I managed it and the Taoiseach um, and I managed it. Um, I'm not going to speak about everybody else. When you're, when you're in a glass house, it's not a good thing to throw someone. So um, uh, I was a member of Cabinet. Uh, I was involved in drawing up the regulations and I discussed those. Uh, so my position was probably slightly different. You don't feel like you resigned too quickly looking back? No, no, absolutely not. Um, you either resign or you don't. Uh, you don't drag it out. And um, I, as I said, just the hurt and the anger that was caused by the event was real and was very real for people across the country. And uh, I had, you know, just 
it needed a resignation, my resignation, to respond and to recognise that hurt and that anger. I think it's fair to say you've probably spent the last six months reflecting on this and thinking about this. I think your, uh, yep. your nod there would say it all. Have you figured out why you attended that event? Uh, why no, I'm you... not going to uh, come up with some sort of spin to say, oh, I've gone straight. You know, you ask yourself all the time, but Kira, it's, um, you know, I, I do ask myself all the time and I had given a commitment uh, and I was, uh, I was asked to do a particular job and I wanted to do that. But look, um, I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have done it. Um, and, you know, over the last six months, you just have to also move on and learn the lessons. I've absolutely done that. Um, I've had huge support from my family and my colleagues my, and the people I work with and friends and constituents, but uh, don't take that for granted. Uh, and as I said, I'm still acutely conscious, even though it is six months, acutely conscious of the anger and of particularly of the hurt, particularly of the hurt. People, you know, that couldn't go to events, couldn't go to funerals, that kind of thing. There was, you know, I got, we got loads of correspondence on that and I really, really felt that that time. And that's why I took the step I did. But you haven't over that time managed to figure out why alarm bells didn't go off in your head that evening? So if I did, I wouldn't have gone. Um, you know, I, and alarm bells, look, hindsight is great. The, 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 rear, the rear mirror is great. Um, I deal with where we are at a particular time. And, uh, uh, you know, there's no sense in going back. If, if we'd done this, if we'd done that, if I had, you know, copped onto this, I didn't. Uh, and I can't recreate it. Um, and I never entered public life to cause hurt. I, I just, that's something that anybody that knows me would tell you that. Uh, I did on that occasion, and that's why I took the actions I did. So you didn't walk in that night, hear those alarm bells going off, and choose to ignore them because, as some people, you know, watch at night will be thinking, he just thought, you know, the rules are for the masses, not for me as a politician. No, absolutely, never thought that. And I think people that know me would know that. Um, I, I know how it may seem, though. I get that. And that was, you know, I said, that's perception drove the anger and drove the hurt and and um where i you know had i not taken the steps i'd taken i think there would have been bigger damage to to the, the the public health message so i under i got that anger absolutely i got that hurt i got that and i needed to react to that i needed to respond to that that's why i resigned and from a personal point of view then dara i mean i was looking at the commentary that was written around the time and they were saying you know this was a fall from grace this was a very promising political career that was now in tatters and i'm wondering from a personal point of view how you dealt with that so look it wasn't easy it was rough but um i had great support at home and uh, great support uh, around me i'm very lucky to have it um but you know that's what that that particular was not a lot people have gone through a lot worse than the last 12 months here i've mm -hmm. people are in a lot worse situations people have lost loved ones people have lost jobs and uh, people have gone through a lot worse situations and I don't want to compare what I went through to a lot of what people are going through at the moment. But it was your career. It is your career. It's a lifetime's work, isn't it? And surely in that moment you must have thought, I had my chance and I've really blown it. Well, yeah, I blew it. Um, but I hope to get the chance again. Um, uh, and I still have that ambition. But um, I have to work. I have to keep work hard for, for the people in Mayo. They are um, particularly hard taskmarkers task mask makers even and um you know focus on working hard i'm also lucky like i'm on the european affairs committee in leicester house on the irish language committee work with gary in that committee we're dealing with the irish language bit at the moment tomorrow morning in european affairs we vice president um of the european commission about article 16 so 
and getting stuck in and all those kind of things. And they're so very like important as well. Then the opportunity to be called back into Cabinet again? Oh, I'd love it, absolutely. But um, I'm also, there's no vacancy at the moment and I'm keeping the head down, keeping my work, trying to work hard and uh, work hard in the constituency, work hard on the committees that I'm on and work hard with colleagues. Um, there's a huge job of work in front of the government at the moment. I think they're working incredibly hard uh, and I'm there to support them and work hard with them. So you don't feel that what happened last August should preclude you from being called back into Cabinet? Well, look, if I didn't learn from it, it would. Uh, and I hope I have. I hope I've learned from the experience of it. Uh, um, I'm trying to show that. Um, but, um, you know, you, you, you also, if you make a mistake, you acknowledge the mistake. You own the mistake. Uh, you learn from the mistake. But I think everybody should be given the chance to move on as well. Well, and some people watching this evening will say, then should Leo Radker not learn from the mistake? He's acknowledged the mistake and uh, I think he said he learned from it. And um, so, look, it, the, the situations are completely different. Um, as I said, um, I'm very comfortable with the decisions that I took last August. And it's a case now of I have a job of work to do and I'm going to focus on that. What is your relationship with Michael Martin like now? It's good. Yeah, it's good. You know, we speak regularly. Um, uh, Danny kind of, Danny gives a, a little bit of a... Uh, an unfair impression of our PP, our parliamentary party meetings. We have very good parliamentary party meetings. They're robust. They always have been, no matter who the leader is. I participate in some of that. Um, and we've, we have a good engagement. Yeah, look, he's, he's an incredibly difficult job at the moment. Um, you know, to lead the country during a pandemic, a once in 100 year pandemic, is incredibly difficult. So, so you're not one of the him. backbenchers who's disgruntled at the moment or thinks he needs to move on or isn't happy with how the party's performing in the polls? Look, there are lots of things, but now, uh, Kira, our focus as a party, our focus as a government is on COVID is on getting the country through this phase of it, getting the vaccination programme rolled out and putting the economic, but also more importantly than the economic, the social recovery, the mental health recovery that we now need as a country. So putting the building blocks in place and making that happen, that has to be the focus of the party and of the government. Um, Gary, just to be clear, um, you don't feel that Leo Radker should be afforded sort of the space now um, to allow this guard investigation to potentially continue. You think he needs to look at his position and his position as Tanishta, as a minister? I think when you look at the when the contrition that Darius just demonstrated there, but also appreciating the consequence that came from an absence of judgment. I think when you're in political office at this moment, absence of judgments, anything that undermines public confidence, I think you have to reflect on your position there. And if you're undermining pay agreements, if you're under if you've been seen to potentially act in a manner that was untoward, I definitely think you can lose authority there. And one of the things you can't lose in political in governance is it's a sense of authority. And I think that has undermined his own position there. And I think that's reflected in some of the commentary that Danny has given from his own parliamentary party. And just to be clear, uh, Simon Harris, the Minister for Higher Education, has just given a statement to uh, the Guardian. He is in no way under investigation himself. Sure. Just to be clear about that. All right, look, that's all we have time for on that particular subject matter. But Dara and Gary are going to be staying with us because after the break, GP Dr Ilona Duffy will be here to tell us how she is preparing to vaccinate the over 85s in the coming weeks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're very welcome back. Well, infectious disease expert Dr. Cleonani Kelly joins us now via Skype. Uh, doctor, thank you for your time. I'm conscious in a couple of minutes that we're going to be talking about the potential reopening of elements of our society. And I wonder, does that conversation fill you with a sense of dread? Um, I'm not sure dread is the right word. Um, a little bit of uncertainty, um, because I suppose what's worrying me really now at the moment is the new variants that are emerging um, and whether or not they will be able to evade the vaccines that we have invested so much time and so much hope in. Um, and I think we just need to be very cautious um, about not allowing those vaccine-resistant strains to, to come into Ireland to take root and to spread. And what do we know about those strains at this point? So we know that, so the strain that's worrying people at the moment is this South African strain um, and all viruses mutate. So every time they copy, they make a few mistakes as they copy and, and most of those mistakes don't do anything, but some of those mistakes help the virus, either help it spread more easily, like we're seeing with the UK variant and that particular mutation is there in the South African variant as well. So both of those spread more easily than the one we were used to. Um, and the South African variant also is able to kind of escape the immune response. Um, so people who've had infection before with COVID can become reinfected with the South African variant. And it looks from the data that we have so far um, that the AstraZeneca vaccine isn't as effective against the South African variant as it is against the other variants. So, um, so I, a little bit worrying. I'm sure you're going to welcome mandatory hotel quarantine when it comes in, but it is the 15th of February and we're told it's coming, it's coming and coming, but still no date in sight. Does that concern you? So I suppose it's not just about the hotel quarantine. There are a number of other things that I really would love to see happen as quickly as possible. Um, so one of them is sequencing a lot more of the virus that we isolate in Ireland so that if we are seeing these new strains come to Ireland, that we know about it. Um, and that's a question of money um, because the more money and more machines and the more reagents we have, the more sequencing, the more of the viruses that we can sequence. So that's really important. The other important thing that needs to happen is a really um, massive uh, ramp up of the public health um, finding people with COVID, getting them tested, getting them to isolate, making sure that they actually are isolating properly and not cutting any corners um, and that their contacts aren't cutting corners. Um, and then to, to really look around our travel. Um, and I suppose, you know, at the moment we don't, we don't really have a system in place uh, to support people to quarantine when they have COVID or are contacts of COVID um, in terms of making sure they have food, they have medication, they have what they need, and then checking up that people are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because we know that lots of people with COVID don't know that they have it. They feel perfectly well. Um, so if you're relying on, well, I feel fine, so I must be fine and I can go out, that isn't necessarily the case. All right, we'll have to leave it there. But as always, thanks for your time, Dr. Keenan Nikali. Not at all.
And in studio, we still have Fianna Fáil TD Dara Cleary and Social Democrat TD Gary Gannon. And Dr. Alona Duffy is also joining us via Skype. I just want to go to you first, um, Dara. Is there a sense of fear in government now about getting this next stage of dealing and living with COVID wrong, given what happened uh, after Christmas? Uh, no, I wouldn't say there's fear. There is. A, a, we've learned a, a huge amount of lessons. And, you know, I, Cleaner was there talking about the South African variant. Like, we didn't have the, the UK variant. Uh, it wasn't officially notified until around the 18th of December. Today it's 15th of February. We now have a UK variant, a South African variant, and a Brazilian variant. So the variants are making this uh, a, a much more difficult uh, issue to tackle. Um, there will be a lot of decisions taken, but the message from Cabinet is that reopening will be cautious, it'll be staged. So for instance, in education, um, the special schools came back last Thursday. The um, classes in mainstream schools will come back next Monday, this day week, staged. Uh, and that is the way to do it. This is all about managing movement, uh, Kira, managing the volume of movement. And I know people pick out different elements of it and say, well, this isn't this is, there isn't a problem here, but it's all about movement. And as we reopen, we have to reopen very, very slowly and manage bringing back that movement. And yet the Taoiseach said today, look, the quality of life will have improved by this summer. Well, that's the aim. Um, you know, we still have to be cautious. You know, we, we, there's some really interesting stuff tonight from the Enfish press conference. Like we, we have outbreaks in some of our third level institutions. Um, our close contacts are beginning to rise a small bit again. We still have to be cautious. We still have to be careful. But equally, um, this is a very important week. And I, I know we're going to speak to Alona now about the rollout of the vaccine in GP surgeries. Uh, 37 vaccination centres were announced today. You will be able to get your vaccination at your local GP and your local pharmacist. Tomorrow uh, is the 50th day since the first person in, our, in, in Ireland got her vaccination. And we will have done about 260,000 vaccines. So once supply keeps coming... We're getting it out. We're getting it into arms. And we now have an army of nearly 6,000 vaccinators ready to go as soon as that supply comes. Gary Gannon, we're hearing, look, things are improving, but it's got to be slow. It's got to be cautious. And yet there were leaks in the papers at the weekend, um, you know, construction sites. Mm -hmm. It looks like they're going to be open. I think Leo Radker said they have a pretty good safety record. They're talking about maybe extending the five kilometre limits to 10 kilometres, maybe allowing you know mm -hmm. people to meet outdoors. Would you support? Do you think now is the time to be introducing some of those measures again? And massively important reference to beer gardens as well. He gave last week, which I don't think it's helpful. Look, we may have only seen the new variants coming. The UK variant was only there on December 18th. But what we've had long before that was people like Lena, who's been out there talking about the need for quarantine, talking about the need for stronger testing and tracing, and talking about the need for travel restrictions. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's OK for people to get things wrong once. We can't get it wrong twice. So what we really need from this government now is much stronger application in terms of suppressing this virus. And so therefore, is there, in your opinion, no justification then for easing these measures? For example, the five kilometres to ten kilometres are allowing people to meet outdoors. There's no point of easing the measures if we're only going to do it for a couple of weeks and then have to lock everybody down again. So I'm not looking for dates when we ease measures. I want to know at what particular level of the virus, getting it down to single digits, hopefully, and then we can potentially open it up more gradually from them. But what I want to know more importantly, and what the public want to know is, what are we doing to suppress this virus? We don't need a situation after Christmas now where we had a meaningful Christmas. Now we're talking about meaningful summers. We don't need that. We need strong, assertive actions. And all of the... And do you accept, Gary, that that means, of getting it down to single digits, that means that we 
potentially stay within level five, stay as we are now, no construction, no children back to school, perhaps right through March, right through April into May? Are you, that's, is that what Does, you're suggesting is the right course of action? I think it's important to say in other jurisdictions, you have, in other jurisdictions where they're being stronger than we are in terms of lowering the voice, they have their children back to school. They have children with special education needs, vulnerable children. We have to manage that reopening. That's very, that's very important in terms of relative safety. But what we absolutely need is the things that we can do that we haven't done to this point. Testing and tracing, quarantining, travel restrictions, and then we can, not when the virus does re-emerge, one or two cases, we can go in, test it and suppress it there and then. And there does seem to be a realisation at this point to Dara Cleary, certainly if you're reading the papers at the weekend, that there hasn't been enough investment in public health and that they are going to have to look at retrospective contract tracing, which was muted in, uh, I think, December of last year. They're going to have to look at investing in regional public health. Has that now been accepted by government? That this is something so we need to do? That's accepted. And I think, you know, as we get the cases down, uh, the pressure on contract tracing goes down. So now you can put resources into more deeper contract tracing. Um, and, you know, you have less, where there are less contacts, and this is the importance of contacts, uh, it means contract tracing can go, go deeper. Um, yes, we have to build up our public health sector. Too slowly, full do you stop. think, Dara? It's come in parallel with the demands of the virus, uh, you know, with the numbers of the virus. Um, absolutely, we have to build up our, our public health system. It has to be always pandemic ready, but we all, I think we have a, all a much greater appreciation of the role of public health doctors and public health advice. And but we've, we've had the virus since up. last March, it's now February, it's only now we're talking about properly resourcing our public no, health. It's been talked about and there's actually, there's there's quite an, I don't have the exact figure, there's around 6,000 extra positions in the health service since this time last year, so investment is being made and I know there are negotiations with the public health doctors at the moment around a contract that should be resolved uh, hopefully quickly. Um, uh, and let's start building it up and getting serious about it because I think they've been truly superb during the last 11 months and um, it, we need to build up that speciality. OK, I want to go to um, Dr Alona Duffy because I know a lot of our viewers um, will be glad to hear, uh, Doctor, that some community vaccination has started, the over 85s, but you have a GP practice in Monaghan. Have you received um, your quota of vaccines yet? Unfortunately not. Uh, we do have quite a large cohort and the age group, uh, over 140 who are aged over 85. And we don't believe we'll have vaccines for almost another fortnight. But that's OK, because we do realise that there are logistical difficulties in transporting this virus. So we're ready to wait and we'll be ready to get going. But it is a great day to know that vaccines have started to be delivered and will start to be given to our vulnerable group who've really been in lockdown for almost a year. Was there any sense of disappointment, um, Alona Duffy, that you weren't getting your vaccines today among your patients? Um, there is, and I think because there's an expectation amongst that group and their families that vaccination would start today and that they would be getting the call and invited to come today. So we've been ringing them and explaining there will be another bit of time, probably another fortnight, but that they will get a phone call from us and they will be vaccinated very soon. I think also, to be honest, we weren't ready for the delivery of the vaccines because it's a huge body of work. Uh, as GPs, we were preparing for the AstraZeneca vaccine, which would have been a lot easier to deliver, but this is much more difficult. And has meant that also we're now being forced to deliver this vaccine in our own surgeries. The HSE aren't going to let us um, deliver it in halls or churches. And we haven't been offered access to the community vaccine hubs, which is disappointing because it's absolutely going to slow down the delivery for us in our surgeries. 
and mean that while we're delivering, we're not able to do other routine GP work. Uh, give me an idea of to what, the extent to which it'll slow down your delivery of the vaccines. Well, we had planned to deliver our vaccines in uh, an adjacent church to us, and we had hoped to be able to deliver between 80, approximately 80 vaccines an hour. And, and that would allow us to maintain normal routine day surgery as well. But with this having to deliver in our own surgeries and maintain social distancing, we'll only be able to deliver 14 an hour. So even for our over 85s, we're talking about at least 10 hours work to do that. So we really are kind of looking for support and help from the HSE and perhaps an offer of the use of the community vaccination hubs, which aren't up and running yet for general vaccination and therefore could provide somewhere for us to deliver to our patients in a fast and efficient manner and ensure that we're continuing to provide daytime GP services. What about those patients who are bed bound, um, who simply cannot leave their home? Have they been given any idea as to when they're going to be vaccinated? Not yet. I think Colin Henry has told us and told the public that no one will be left behind. And as part of the work we're doing in preparation is we're gathering lists of patients who are bed bound and have no means of transport and physically can't come to the surgery. And we've been asked to feed that back to the HSE. So we don't as yet know how that will be delivered because, I mean, we're all being made aware that Moderna and Pfizer are very difficult vaccines to transport have a very short half-life and they're therefore giving them in people's homes is going to pre present a challenge but again I'm presuming that's something that's been worked on. I've talked to a colleague this evening who works in Northern Ireland about how they're delivering it there and they're providing the AstraZeneca vaccine as we know to those who are over 70 so therefore it's not presenting as much of a problem to them. All right, uh, we'll just keep you there for a moment uh, Dr Duffy because I just want to put that point to um, Derek Cleary it seems to make perfect sense if there's an empty church building next door that allows them to safely and efficiently roll out the vaccine, why aren't doctors being given access? So I understand, um, I, actually I heard somebody um, from the IMO respond to this today. It's the, again, and uh, Dr Duffy touched on it there, the fragility of the, the Pfizer vaccine in particular. Um, and they want to maintain security, they want to maintain it within a clinical setting and also for the age cohort. Um, but surely doctors want that too and they feel that they can achieve that while using absolutely. bigger spaces. And, I think probably um, Dr. Duffy is Particularly if it is adjacent, uh, 100% it's besides the surgery. But, um, you know, this is all about building up confidence in the vaccine and avoiding any situation, uh, trying to be as clinical as possible uh, with it. In relation to those that are bedbound, that's an area that's incredibly important to me. And uh, I spoke to Minister Stephen Donnelly this evening and he says that there's still a huge amount of work. And I know that the HSE, HSE logistics team are doing massive work, A, at addressing, getting the list together of everybody who cannot come into surgery to get to them, obviously though dealing within the constraints of the Pfizer vaccine. Um, Carrie Gannon, is that satisfactory? You know, it's, the it's government a, here, the HSE, look, they're just trying to, you know, look out for the safety of this vaccine when you have a doctor there saying, look, I can look after the safety of the vaccine, but I can do it more efficiently in a bigger space. I'm also very conscious of the person at home over the age of 85 who may have mobility issues. We've been told that there's a huge amount of work. And well, why haven't we addressed that yet? We've had a huge amount of time so far. For many people, the vaccine represents hope. I think we need to be communicating clearly with those who are about to receive it and get some degree of freedom back in their lives as to when they'll be able to get it, the challenges that face us and how we're going to overcome them more importantly. It's no point announcing a vaccine programme today and then saying there's a huge amount of work and we have no idea when we can cater for your need. That's not even close to good enough.
Uh, but I think we, we are dealing with a, a very movable situation. So we were working initially at this phase on getting AstraZeneca out. NIAC have given medical advice that no, uh, the uh, Pfizer and Moderna are the two that will have to apply for this particular age cohort. You know, again, Kira, we, um, as tomorrow's day 50, we'll have 265,000 doses delivered. The plan, depending on supply, is to go up to a situation where we're delivering 250 doses a week. And if what we're doing... 50,000 doses. A week. And don't forget, Ireland is still within the EU, within the top four in terms of getting vaccines into arms. 90% of what comes into the country is getting out into arms. And obviously with the constraints uh, of the, the two vaccines we have in use at the moment. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. But my thanks to Adara Cleary and to Dr. Alona Duffy. Gary is going to be staying with us because after the break, we're going to be discussing wedding season and Frank will be here to discuss his hopes for the industry. very welcome back. Now with the summer wedding season fast approaching and many couples in limbo for their big day, we're joined by wedding planner Peter Kelly, better known as Frank, and wedding photographer Olga Hogan via Skype and Gary Gannon is still with us here in studio. I want to go to you um, first, Peter. I would imagine that your industry is feeling pretty despondent at the moment, am I right? Yeah, the, the industry is like a crisis. The a huge problem uh, with numbers. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, the biggest thing I feel, though, is that if the wedding industry and the events industry is not supported, um, then we can't support couples. It's as, easy, as simple as that. And um, We were promised a CRSS scheme back in November, and uh, literally the scheme hasn't come true for us. It's come, it's come for you know, restaurants, bars, hotels, they're all getting supported because, and we agree with them being supported. If they weren't, they wouldn't be here this year. But we haven't been supported. And this is where it's a, it's a big um, letdown for us. As an industry, we've been providing, you know, huge uh, employment and, and I'm very disappointed the way we're being treated at the moment. Can I ask then, Peter, what supports you are able to avail of at the moment? What's out there for uh, you? We're just getting a wage support, but we're not getting business support. So it's the overheads that are there that most of the companies are not receiving. You know, we're we've all got leases, we've got and um, staff costs in relation to and um, transport. We've got a huge amount of um, of uh, supports that aren't being given to us, just like they are for the bars. The restaurants and the other associations. Um, our costs are huge, um, but we're, we're only getting to wage subsidy. This doesn't cover the outlay that we're giving. We're giving thousands every week um, to keep our businesses afloat, and we've been doing that for a year. And since last November, when the government had announced the new scheme, they said that um, uh, they'd, they'd support us um, if we had uh, you know, over 75,000 Oh, sorry, over 75% of our business was down and impacted by COVID-19. Uh, the majority of companies I know, literally, they're, they're down 80 to 90%. And they haven't got any um, support except for the, the pub payment, which is, you know, the, 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 the wage support. 
So give me an idea, uh, Frank, of the type of uh, overheads that your business has and has had to service over the last year. Yes, yeah, so you've got it's huge. You've got your insurance costs. We can't let them go for your business and for event insurance. Then you've got you know fleet insurance for all the vehicles from vans, trucks. Then you've got things like you know pest control. You've got safety stuff like fire um, control that you have to have. Uh, they, they go on and on. You know from internet to um, you know telephones. You know all these are costing thousands every week. And getting uh, so many hundred a week, you know, is not going to pay for that. So what we've been doing is we've been putting that money in ourselves for the last year. And most of the businesses I know who are, who are um, in the event and wedding industry, they've been doing this for a year, which is unheard of, to have no income coming in, but you're paying out. And we all thought by November we might get some support. And we were promised support in the budget, but nothing has happened. And so for me, it's, uh, the CRSS was not fit for purpose. So give me and an idea, Frank, about the kind of losses then that you've experienced over the last year. Can you put a figure on it? Yeah, we're, you're talking seven to 800,000 um, in losses. And you're, you're talking about companies that are turning, you know, a million to two million to eight million. And colleagues of mine are in business and they're getting no support. And now there's, uh, they're trying to come up with a new scheme, which is... Um, it's for companies that are like, you know, for 50,000 euros turnover a year. But it's not related to uh, the income that you had in the past. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, Olga, I just want to bring you in there uh, for a second. You're a, a wedding photographer. Um, are you still able to go ahead and take photographs of people if they decide to get married, even if it's only six in attendance or 25 in attendance? Can you actually be there? Can you work? At the moment, as I understand, it is um, allowed. So I could travel for a wedding if it were happening. But uh, since the start of the year, I have had zero weddings because all of my um, couples have basically said that they're not really willing to go ahead with six. So everybody has postponed and they're waiting to see when the numbers might be back to at least 25. Um, so, so far I have been out of work for the last couple of months, it, well, since last March. L last March, give or take, kind of, I say, yeah. a couple of weeks where the restrictions it, were exactly, eased. Yeah. You've basically been out of work. Um, what is it mm -hmm. like to live with that level of uncertainty? Because the numbers do go up and down and up and down when it comes to weddings. Absolutely. It's, it's really, really tough. I, I'm not gonna lie because um, I do follow the news regularly waiting for a little bit of clarity but it's very tough because it's basically impossible to plan anything and last summer 2021 was going to be the busiest year but now of course we have no idea and the numbers are always um, up and down. I've had couples who've postponed three or four times. Uh, last year I had a couple who ended up bringing their wedding forward by a week because they were basically anxious that the following week the numbers might change again. So they organized a wedding in almost two days. So I can just imagine how tough it is for uh, the couples as well. But for the wedding industry, it's just you're, you're just sitting here waiting and you're in complete um, limbo yeah. and you have no idea. Are when you able this to diversify at all, Olga? 
Not, but not really, no, because with photography, as it is technically non-essential, we can't really travel. So within the 5K, there is not really a lot that we can do. And we can't really do it uh, online either. So we're just waiting to see what's going to happen. Do you see the days of, you know, 100, 200, 300, maybe even more than that, uh, people attending a wedding as as being, you know, way, way in the distant future? Or do you think that's just gone altogether? Um, I do hope it's not gone because um, weddings are, it is all about emotions. It's about the feeling. And I do think that when you have everybody who you want to see there, it's an amazing day. Uh, now, I do actually see that it's could be possible that the couples might start reducing uh, the numbers even when we're in uh, the clear. But I don't see the 100 or 200 people happening this year, I'll be honest with you. All right. I just so, want to put your points crossed, but, yeah. um, to Gary Gannon, who's here in studio. Look, it's incredibly difficult for any of the couples out there who are trying to plan a wedding. Very, very difficult for all those in the industry. But is the government in a position to give them any kind of certainty, do you think? I think we can give I think we can certainty in relation to contingency. So I noted over the weekend, it was, I think Leo Varadkar mentioned that it might be till September when you can have more than 50 at a wedding. Now, I think we need to guarantee if we, the numbers are at a certain level, well, then you can have this amount of people at an event. And I think that's the type of certainty we can give people, not based on dates, but based on we get the numbers to certain, when we get the numbers down to a certain level, this is how many people you can have at an event. So you think the new plan, there should be Absolutely. sort of metrics attached that's to it? I think that's essential. We've had the dates and we can see that the dates don't work. We need metrics. And what we also need to appreciate is what Frank and Olga represent there is Indigenous industries, their taxpayers, they're on their knees at the moment and investment in industries such as those events industries will come back fourfold when we re-emerge and believe that there will be times when we can all gather again but until that time we need to invest in these people. Uh, Frank I just want to go back to you because um, Gary mentioned there the article in the Sunday Business Post yesterday uh, and it was a letter that had been provided to somebody who worked in the events industry by Leo Varadkar where he seemed to suggest look it'll be September at the earliest before 50 people can attend uh, a gathering it could go on to the end of the year but you know there was very little certainty and I wondered how you felt about reading you know, that letter and finding out uh, that way that that's how your event industry and your wedding industry uh, could be impacted. Yeah, it just shows the, um, the lack of knowledge about the industry really is that we were the worst hit when this came in March last year. We didn't lose a week's work, a month's work. We lost six months to a year's work last March. And we're going to be probably the last to get out of this. Uh, any, all our businesses are in large-scale events, from weddings, which are 100 to 500, you know, for festivals. And so we're going to be impacted, you know, the, the longest, and we'll be last to get back to work. So even if the numbers do change in June, July, and August, couples don't change their date, you know, within a week or a month. They always have six months to plan, seven months or a year. So really, this shows that if it's September, that's another year gone for most of the wedding industry. Um, Frank, so I know you carried out a, a survey. I just want to get to it um, among your members. What did they say about the survival rate in the industry post-COVID-19? They said if we're not supported immediately, and that was back in January, and 40% would be gone. And that's why I'm really anxious and upset for this industry. If this industry isn't supported, then 21,000 couples are going to be affected. 
because the businesses simply won't be there to service them. Yeah. And they, they may lose prices. All right. All right. So um, it's prices. OK, uh, thank you both for your time this evening and thanks to uh, Gary Gannon for staying on here in studio. My thanks to all of my guests. I'm going to be back tomorrow night here on The Tonight Show at 10pm. But until then, do stay safe. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.